but that's okay. A lot of people laugh here in church, and it's good. It's good to see yes, it uh, happiness in the Lord and being here together and enjoying each other's company. Yes, it is. Good morning, everyone. Welcome Hi. to First Baptist Church. How are you? We are so glad that you are here today. We've got people coming in. <clears throat> So make sure you scooch in, leave some uh, room on the aisle so people can come in and sit down as they're scooch walking in. It is a great day to praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's Amen. stand together and praise the Lord. the 
right, turn to your neighbor and give him a fist bump or a hug or no holy kisses, though, all right? All right, First Baptist Church, like the United States Postal Service, neither rain nor sleet nor hail can keep us from God's house today. We're so glad that you're here this morning. If you're coming by way of Facebook or YouTube, then welcome to First Baptist Church service. If you're right here in the congregation, thank you for being faithful to God today. We're glad to have you here. Going to be preaching in just a little bit on <clears throat> the theme of a carpenter's son. Then there'll be a military meal on the patio right after services for all the active military. You're invited to that. And tonight, it's not in our bulletin. Tonight, though, you want a real blessing over in Imperial Beach, actually on the other side of Imperial Beach at Ocean View Church, uh, Al Moeller will be speaking. Al Moeller does two, at least two podcasts a day. I have more respect for this guy. He has more facts packed in and documented uh, as he presents the Christian worldview uh, every single day, five days a week, Monday through Fridays. <clears throat> and he's going to be at Ocean View uh, this afternoon at 6 p.m., actually this evening at 6 p.m. So I'm, I'm going to be there. My wife's going to be there. Lord willing, we'll be right up there as close as we can get to the altar, to the very beginning, so we can get the spewings from the altar. We're, <laughs> we're excited about it. And I, if you're interested at all, I, I promise you, if you go hear him, you'll want to start listening to his podcasts. So that's 6 p.m. tonight. After church uh, today, ladies retreat meeting with Annabelle. And where do you want to meet, Annabelle? Right back in the corner there? or all right, so ladies who are going to the retreat, and I think it's full now, it's full, completely full, see her for all of the instructions because it's this coming Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Is that correct? All right, so see her right after this and uh, in the back corner by the sound booth. Saturday, men's prayer breakfast. Uh, so all you guys, I know you'll be here for this one because your wives are going to be gone to the retreat, and you, you'll not have eaten anything for two days at this point in time. <clears throat> so... Uh, a little, make you a little bit more appreciate her so when she gets back. But 8 o'clock on Saturday for the men's breakfast, bring someone with you. And if you would be here early, 7 o'clock to help set up and to help cook, that would be wonderful. Next Sunday, going to be preaching on the theme, Baptized by John. And if you would like to be baptized on the day that we preach on the baptism of Jesus, uh, you let me know. We'll fill the baptistry. That's what this is. This is a baptistry. We'll fill it up. We'll put our giant heater in there. And uh, actually, a little giant is what it's called. But we'll put it in there and get it ready for you as best we can. Uh, so let me know today or tomorrow if you want to be baptized this Sunday. Commitment cards and contacts. Those who sign the commitment cards, signing up, volunteering for ministries, we are in the process of trying to get a hold of you. I think there's a few that we still haven't made contact with. We need your phone number, email address, or text, or something, but uh, if we have that already, be patient with us. We will get to you. Those who have signed up to help in children's ministry, may God bless you. May God increase your tribe. Uh, you need to pick up a packet from the secretary, from Julie, of what you need to do. And it, it's, it's not just, I want to volunteer and I'll be there the next week. It takes a little while. Uh, so uh, there's, there's a little online thing you have to take and some background checks all to keep our kids safe. And I know you understand that. Uh, so be sure to see Julie and pick up that packet. Easter, <clears throat> Lord willing, we're going to have two services, one at 8.30 a.m., and one at 10.15. Also, there'll be an overflow area on the patio. Uh, let's see. I think that's all the announcements. If you are a first-time guest today or first-time maybe, for, or you never have filled out one of these, please fill out one of there. And the seat back's in front of you. Take a few moments and fill them out and put your prayer requests and any questions you might have on the back. Once you get these filled out, you can give them to us or you can put them in the tithe and offering box to the left of the double doors. That's where a lot of our people put their tithe uh, checks and their offerings for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, here's what I wrote for the bulletin. <clears throat> Are you praying for revival? As I write this article, and this was written Tuesday, February 21st, in a little town named Wilmore, Kentucky, has been invaded by as many as 50,000 visitors. 
It's a friendly invasion. By the way, the town of Wilmore is about 6,000. And they had at one time 50,000 visitors. So you can imagine how that worked out. It's a friendly invasion. They have gathered in the chapels and on the grounds of a small Christian university called Asbury. Some have waited hours in freezing temperatures to be able to experience firsthand what's happening. Almost two weeks ago, after a chapel service, a few students remained behind, repenting, confessing their sins, and worshiping. And as of today, and that would have been Tuesday, it's still going on. Coincidentally, that's when it stopped, because, not because the revival stopped, but because the town needed a little relief. And so they've been praying that it would pick up on other campuses and other towns, and it has done exactly that. Facebook is dominated by pictures, articles, and reference to this phenomenon. Major news outlets have featured it on the evening news. Perhaps you know people who have made the pilgrimage to Wilmore. I certainly do. What is happening? Well, no buildings have been burned. No police cars have been overturned. No businesses have been damaged. The invasion is a peaceful one of unity, acceptance, and love. In this, in this revival for which we have pr- is this revival for which many of us prayed all of our adult lives. I don't know. What I do know is I much prefer this kind of assembly over the one where property was destroyed and people were injured or killed. Let's pray this is the beginning of a national return to God, and the only way a nation returns to God is if the individual citizens of that nation turn to him. A nation can't be saved. It's the people of the nation who can be saved. Commit this event to God. Commit yourself to him. Look up and listen for the trumpet sound. And, and coincidentally, and again, this, I, I don't believe so much in coincidences as God incidences. Uh, coincidentally, uh, what night was it? Was it Tuesday night? We went to, the, to see the preview the, the, before it was opened in the, major, in the theaters of the Jesus Revolution. <clears throat> and I, I was very interested in seeing what it was all about. I've known about Chuck Smith uh, all of my ministry life. And I know about Greg Laurie a little bit. I didn't know they were connected. And this movie will show the connection. Actually, uh, Greg Laurie was saved because and, and called to ministry because of the ministry of Chuck Smith. I'd never heard before uh, about Lonnie Frisbee. I'd never heard the name. And, uh, and if you Google him, you're going to find some pretty disturbing things about him. But uh, you know what? God uses flawed instruments, and I'm certainly right up there uh, as one of the flawed instruments, and I, I love it if God can use me at all, but uh, I, without passing judgment online, just saying uh, that the movie overall was incredible. It gave me a whole new appreciation and understanding for what happened at Midway Baptist Church in 1973 when Pat and I... Uh, uh, unbeknownst to me, the only place, the only two places Pat didn't want to go out of Bible college was to North Dakota for obvious reasons and uh, California for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> the two places I was looking at going were North Dakota and California, as it turns out. And when we came to California uh, and that little church, Midway Baptist Church in Imperial Beach, uh, I didn't think they were going to call me. I didn't care because I didn't really want to come because they were weird because Californians are absolutely crazy. You native Californians are out of your minds. You, you have no idea what real people are like in the Midwest. And so, so I said, I told Pat, I said, that's Sunday morning. She wasn't with me. She was in Colorado. Uh, so I said, I'm going to preach everything I know to preach. I'm going to hit it all. And, and then I'm getting out of town because they're not going to want me and I'm, I don't want them. And in that service, <clears throat> some people got saved. Some people joined the church. Some people got right with God. And one of the most amazing things that happened in my entire life was God turned me around and gave me a heart for those people. And I'll tell you what, when we came, uh, maybe, you know, 65 or 70 people, kind of a hippified church. I think they may be, some of them may be watching right now on Facebook. Uh, but the, the head trustee had flaming red hair down to his shoulders and, and a Fu Manchu mustache that covered, you know, came all the way down. And, and uh, the ladies would get up and sing in bare midriffs and bib overalls. And, uh, and I thought, God's going to kill everybody here. Just <laughs> wait till I get out of here, God. Please wait till I get back on my plane, go back home. Uh, but you know what? God used that music. God used those people. God used this crazy conservative preacher, uh, and, and, I, and within four years, we grew from that 70, 75 people to over 1,000 people. 
in four years. And it was exciting. Every single Sunday, people would get saved. Every Sunday morning, we'd baptize. A lot of Sunday nights, a lot of Wednesday nights, we'd baptize just constantly. And, and it helped me to understand where that fell in relationship to the Jesus people revolution, the Jesus revolution. And so, um, you know what? I guess we were around in one of the, one of the revivals in our country. And, uh, and who knows, that coming out the very same week that uh, this Asbury news has come out and everything, or the very same time period, and maybe it's happening again, and I certainly hope so. So go see the movie, go see the movie, go see the movie. Y- y- you won't agree with everything. I don't agree with everything that goes on. I don't agree with everything I do, but I still <laughs> want you to go see the movie, okay? It'll be a blessing to you. And let's pray that if this is what God's going to use to bring revival to the United States of America, that, uh, that the people comply and get on their faces before God. Uh, That's what we need to do. Our Father in heaven, we pray for revival. God, we pray for revival right here. I pray for revival in my own life. I pray for revival in my home. I pray for revival in this church, in this city, in this state, in this country that I love, in this world. Uh, Lord, I I know that some of this is happening in other countries now, some of it uh, from what started in Wilmore. I'm I thank you for it. God, may it not stop until literally millions of people are swept into your kingdom. God, just do it again, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, would you stand as we continue to worship the Lord this morning?
is Christ. We are wealthy of all men and all women everywhere. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Uh, boys and girls, come up to the front while you're coming. Moms and dads, you have your Bibles turned to Luke chapter 2. Luke, Luke's gospel chapter 2. Open it up on your iPhone or iPad or have one of those paper versions like this. That would be okay. That would work just fine. Paper bound by leather. Boys and girls, how are you? 
Good. How many of you are 12? Anybody here 12? Anybody? Are you? No, you're not 12, are you? Okay. Are you 12? You're nine? You look like you're 12. You're kind of tall for, okay. So let's, let's pretend like you're 12 today. How would you like to go to a place where there was a whole bunch of old preachers and preach at them and talk to them like, and discuss theology and the hypostatic union and the, 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 the election and predestination and, and all, would you like to do that? It would be pretty embarrassing, but if I, I like that. But if I had to, I'd go ahead and do it. You know what? That goes right along with what the Bible says. If someone asks about the hope that you have, be sure to share it with them. Always tell them why you have the hope within you, all right? So uh, it's exactly what Jesus did when he was 12 years old. Not nine, but 12. When he was 12, he went to the temple, and he was there talking to and asking questions and answering questions for the preachers, the old preachers, and the doctors, and the teachers of the Word of God. So just because you're a kid, everybody listen up, just because you're a young boy or a young girl doesn't mean you can't tell people about Jesus and how much you love him and how much he loves you. Because the Bible says, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young, but be an example of believers in all that you say and the way that you live and the way that you love and in your purity. So uh, I want you all to make sure you represent the Lord Jesus Christ in the very best way possible, okay? Let's pray for everyone today. Let's pray for the classes that you go to, that the Holy Spirit would fill the teachers' lives and they would be uh, filled with his spirit and teach you great truths that go with you the rest of your life. Our fathers, we bow together in your presence. We want to say thank you for every boy and every girl that's here this morning. Thank you for their parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles who brought them today. God, we pray that you would bless them. God, we pray that you'd raise up this generation in a spirit of revival and that these kids would all come to know Christ as their personal Savior if they don't already know you. Father, forgive us of our sins and bless us today in this service, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and all the kids said... Amen. God bless you. Go ahead and go to your classes today. Luke chapter 2, A Carpenter's Son, the message for today and the series on the life of Christ. So we talked about, in December, of course, this first advent, we talked about the virgin birth, talked about the angel appearing to Joseph, the angel appearing to Mary, talked about uh, the birth of John uh, to Elizabeth and Zacchaeus, the John the Baptist, who, of course, is the cousin to the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about all that then. When we started this particular series at the first of this month, we talked about his presentation at the temple and how that it was a ritual that all the covenant people of Israel went through to present their children, a boy or a girl, to the Lord at the appointed time. And then we talked about the, the, the edict that Herod had issued that all of the Boy babies two years old and under would be slain uh, because he didn't want any competition uh, for the throne uh, of, of the Holy Land there. And so uh, the, the angel again warned Joseph and he uh, took his family and they went to Egypt and then came back. The Bible says that Jesus continued to grow with unusual wisdom. Today's text in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, narrates the pilgrimage um, to Jerusalem as Jesus, a carpenter's son, or, or, or was he a carpenter's son? Well, maybe. Depends on how you define it. Accompanies his family. This would have been around 9 AD. We talked about why it's 9 AD. He's 12. It's 9 AD. We talked about it last week. Go back and uh, watch the, the archive message to figure that one out. The occasion was the observation of the Passover feast. That's why they were going uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, Passover was one of three annual feasts that every good Jewish family was supposed to uh, observe. And uh, the others being Pentecost and Tabernacles, but in real practice, only the Passover was strictly observed. So here's uh, Jesus as a 12-year-old, and 12-year... <laughs> what I do? what I say? Oh, there you go. That's not Jesus, but... Uh... <laughs> But at 12 years of age, every young Jewish boy is getting ready to be, go through the Mar Mitzvah and therefore be uh, uniquely uh, linked or begin his pursuit of knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ at 13 years of age. I forgot I put that picture in there. 
The Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread involves seven days of consecration, seven days of observation, and his parents prescribed to that particular uh, teaching, and they stay there that period of time. But Jesus, they would find out later, stayed a little bit longer. So we find out he is missing in Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. Now his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days they returned, the, the child Christ tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. I want every parent to try to put yourself in the shoes, or in this case the sandals, uh, of Mary and Joseph. The child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And as they sought among their kinsfolk and acquaintance, and when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Have you ever, for even a little while, lost a child? How many have had that experience? Is it what? Terrifying? Absolutely terrifying? My, when, when our little boy, I don't know how old it was been when that happened. Three years old, and she was down at some shops in San Isidro, just south of where we lived. And uh, she she told him to stay right in this area, and and so uh, she was shopping, and she began looking for him and couldn't find him. Three year old, uh, and we we feared the worst. He had these beautiful green eyes. I mean, just an incredible kid, and we thought the worst. And she began yelling for him, calling for him. And she had to go out and she was starting to go shop to shop. And she heard this familiar cough out of one of the shops. And she went in there and there he was in the toy section uh, of that particular store. I don't know if she hugged him or began smacking him around. Uh, Either one would have been okay. I, I remember one time when my granddaughter was, how old was she? about the same age. Uh, we, at the other campus we had, the other church we had, uh, there was a river valley that went through the, the north part of our property. And there were, a lot of, uh, there were a lot of homeless people, even back then, that uh, were in there. And they would come up and things would be missing from the church and so on. And uh, so this one time after church, my daughter was frantic and called and, and said they couldn't find my granddaughter, about three years of age. Uh, and I remember running through the the weeds that were knee high and more in my suit and my and my uh, and my dress shoes, screaming and yelling her name, Shay, calling out for her, just terrified. At, and we just couldn't find her. It went on so long. I don't know. It seems like so long. And then we finally found her. She was at home under a table with a tablecloth. She was afraid to come out because she knew she would be in trouble. So, <laughs> Again, I don't know whether hugging her or smacking her around is the right thing to do. How in the world could this happen? And yet a good number of hands went up right here in this auditorium that it's happened to us. Uh, and, and so it's not that Mary and Joseph were bad parents. It's not that at all. It, it did happen. But understand that the families would travel in caravans to uh, protect themselves from, uh, from what might happen on the road. Otherwise, they, they would travel together in caravans. And, and I suppose that Jesus was with the family gatherings and all the aunts and uncles and the neighbors and so on who had traveled together with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. I suppose that, that he was with them until the very end when the caravan actually left Jerusalem. So, about a day's journey, they traveled maybe 20 miles, maybe 20, 25 miles, some on foot, most of them on foot, some on beasts of burden. And they realized as they began to settle in for the night that Jesus was not amongst the caravan. So they turned back and no doubt they were frantic. And I just want you to hold that, that fear that was, might have been in your heart. And maybe you can still remember how it was when you were looking for your child. But then he's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, it came to pass after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. He did both. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So, so what they did, as soon as they figured out that Jesus was not amongst them, uh, the family members in the caravan, as soon as they figured that out, they turned around and headed back to Jerusalem, and they searched for him. So go with me now. They went one day out, 20, 25 miles. Uh, they realized he was not with them, came back one day 
to get back, maybe a little faster. <laughs> maybe they traveled a little faster. Uh, and then they had one day to look for him before they found him. And so on the third day, literally on the third day, they found him. And that's significant, I think. I think it's kind of a, a precursor or a prefiguring of the resurrection after the third day. They thought he was lost. They thought he was gone. They thought Messiah was no more. He was in the borrowed tomb. The tomb was sealed with the Roman seal, and, and the Roman guards were posted, and they thought they'd lost out on this new Messiah. But after three days, he came alive again, and the angel rolled the stone away, and Jesus rose from the dead. I can't imagine, though, what Joseph and Mary went through for three long days. I wondered, as I read this, if this is what Mary thought uh, Simeon referred to when he said, you're going to be filled with sorrow, uh, Mary. You're, this, this child is going to be an incredible child, but you're going to be filled with sorrow over him. Maybe that's what Simeon had predicted. Uh, and what was he found doing? He wasn't at the toy store. He wasn't looking at all the little toys. He was in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, the lawyers, the teachers, the educators, hearing them and asking them questions. He was found in the middle of a bunch of religious leaders, reasoning with them. The Greek words imply not just questions of natural curiosity, but probing questions designed to elicit thoughtful decisions, deep things. He was talking not about surface things. He was talking about deep things, doctrines that maybe we even wrestle with today. He was discussing with these lawyers and doctors and religious crowd and religious trainers. And Jesus appeared as a pupil who astonished his, his teachers by his understanding of the law. His questions and answers and to the counter questions uh, were amazing. They were amazed. Now, one commentator says that there's not um, a thought here of his precociously teaching the experts. I've heard that taught by some preachers. He was teaching them, and, and there's nothing that would indicate that in the language. But guess what? He could have because he was the son of God. He could have because the Father would have given him that and the Holy Spirit would have given him what he needed. But he, he, so he was entirely capable that at the very least he was sitting there having a discussion about deep things. I, I'm, I'm thinking of Al Mohler, the deep things. I'm thinking Jesus as a 12-year-old was deeper than Al Mohler uh, ever has been uh, and deeper than any of us and any philosopher of any age. Uh, he was there sitting with the religious leaders. And then uh, when they found him in verse 48, they had mixed feelings. When they saw him, they were amazed. And the, his mother said to him, son, why have you thus dealt with me? Why have you done this to me? What are you thinking? Behold, your father and I have sought you sorrowing. I can only imagine how they felt. And the Bible says in one translation, they were amazed. And the Greek word is, is literally means to strike out, to force out by a blow. They were as if someone punched them in the chest or punched them in the jaw. They were knocked out of their senses, of their self-possession. They were struck with astonishment, with admiration. In the New Testament, in the passive, it meant to be struck with astonishment. They, they didn't know what to say. They were, in fact, the New, New Living Translation says his parents didn't know what to think. They were speechless. Have you ever been speechless? I have. Very, very rarely. <laughs> Hence, my wife calls me a professional lip. Very respectfully, of course, at certain times in an argument that we might be having, whatever. But they were speechless. They didn't know. They were astounded. There's their son, their boy that had grown up in their home for 12 years now. And there he is reasoning, answering questions, asking questions of the religious leaders in Israel. It's not the only feelings they must have had. They must have been frightened out of their wits. They must have been filled with wonder. When they saw him, they must have been filled with joy. I can imagine tears were shed by both of their parents, by both of his parents, rather. Maybe there was a little anger. May I say this respectfully? Maybe they didn't know whether to hug him or smack him around a little bit. And I say that respectfully. I don't think they would have. But maybe they thought some kind of discipline was in order. He was their little boy. 
We know him as the son of God. He, he, they knew there was something special, but he was their son. They were amazed. They realized, when they realized what was happening, there was even more amazement. And perhaps, perhaps this was a the crossing of the Rubicon, so to speak. And perhaps this was a time when they realized he is here for something more than just being our son. Something more than just being a carpenter's son. Perhaps observing his religious interests and his insight, they realized it was way beyond what a normal 12-year-old boy would go through. But Mary, after she got over the speechlessness, said, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic. We've searched for you everywhere. And, and, and literally, some commentators said she's saying, we've been pained and we've been tormented. You've put us through torture. We've been striving to find you like someone who's lost something of great importance, like, like the lady who lost the, the coin. There were 10 coins. She lost one, part of her bridal uh, outfit, and, and it was of significance. And she swept and cleaned the house until she found it, like the one who had a hundred sheep and one was missing and the shepherd uh, put the 99 safe in the fold and went out looking for that one because that one was very valuable to him. Like the man who had two sons, one stayed home and worked the farm, the other one was prodigal and took his inheritance, uh, uh, very disrespectfully took his inheritance and wasted it on riotous living and prostitutes and, and, and whatever else. And then... He came back home, and the father, I love this, ran to him. Father ran to him. Killed the fatted calf, put a gold ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet. You're accepted, son. You're loved. You're found again. Mary said, we've looked everywhere. We didn't know where you were. We didn't know if we'd see you again. Here's Jesus' response in verse 49. He said to them, how is it that you sought me? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? Why did you need to search? Two questions. He answered the question with two questions. Why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Didn't you realize I should be involved with my father's affairs? This might have been on the part of Jesus, I don't know, I'm speculating, a, a little gentle reproach or a little bit of disappointment. Don't you know who I really am? Don't you know what I'm really here? Do, do you think it's to be a carpenter? Style? I love what my dad does. I love the fact that my stepdad provides for us. I love that he's uh, industrious, that he works, that he takes responsibility. But I'm here because of my father's calling, my heavenly father's affairs. Neither Joseph nor Mary understood what he was saying at this point. The Bible says in verse 50, they understood not the sayings which he spoke to them. You see, his earthly father was a carpenter, but he wasn't found when they went back to Jerusalem. He wasn't found in a carpenter shop. His heavenly father was Jehovah God. Therefore, he was found in the temple of God. And maybe Jesus was easing into a break here that, with his parents that had to come but not in a rebellious way. Verse 51, then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. He wasn't a rebel. His questions here that he and used to answer a question, the two questions, were not meant to, to be rebellious or defiant or arrogant or in the face of his parents. He was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. He established that he had a higher calling and a higher purpose. He would not follow his father's, his heaven, his earthly father's profession. You have a purpose. I know you do. That's it's it's a rhetorical question. Every one of us have a purpose. God doesn't deal in accidents. God doesn't create accidents. God creates on purposes. You're an on purpose person. He said, well, pretty sure it doesn't feel like it to me. And I hope Bill's watching, but Bill's not here right now. And after being married for however long and then his wife passing away a year and some months ago, his words, there's like so many words when they've been married a long time and lose their spouse. 
why am I even here anymore? Maybe you have someone in your family. Maybe that's you. I don't know. Maybe you feel like, what's my purpose in life? And I thank God I have a purpose. I thank God I know what that purpose is. You need to figure it out. If you haven't yet, young people, you need to figure out. Some of you in the military, man, God's calling you. You're involved with navigators. You, you come to church. You talk to people about the Lord. You know, there's not a lot of young people that do that anymore these days. Jesus' people did. Asbury people, I'm sure, are talking about him. Maybe God's going to get a hold of your heart. Maybe God's going to call you to be a missionary. Maybe God's going to call you to be a pastor or, um, pastor or preacher's wife or a missionary or I don't know what. Jesus had a higher calling. And this was a secret epiphany, a momentary glimpse through a curtain into a private room that God allowed Mary and Joseph to see through. Verses 51 and 52, the return to Nazareth. Jesus was rejected by his... Here's a little side note. I don't think this is in your notes because I, I, I added this later on. He was rejected by his fellow citizens in Nazareth. They did not recognize him to be anything or anyone special. In Matthew 13, 55, then they scoffed when, when someone was talking about Jesus and his miracles and so on. He's just a carpenter's son. You mean Jesus... That, you mean the guy that lives over that, that part of town, Nazareth, the carpenter's son? We know Mary. We know Joseph, obviously. That's his dad. We know Mary, his mom. We know his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. We, you talking about that guy? He's supposed to be somebody special. He's a carpenter's son. You know the tragedy? The Bible says because of their unbelief, he could do no mighty works there. You want God to do some mighty works in your life? You've got to believe he will. You've got to believe he will. You better believe he will. Verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So Jesus returned home with his earthly family after this three-day uh, hiatus of them not knowing where he was, and, and these two verses now happen after he goes back home. He's there from about 9 A.D. until 29 A.D. And again, he was subject to them, obedient, and this break was not one of rebellion. Teenagers, listen to me. It's a natural thing to grow more independent the older you get. It's a natural thing. It's, it's important. It, it, now, you've got a great mom, but I, you don't want to be 42 years old living with your mama, right? I mean, you, you just, <laughs> I, 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 mama sure doesn't want it. She's saying, no, sirree, Bob. So, so the, the natural tendency is to become more, and I remember going through that. I remember at, at a point in time when uh, there was a tension, a certain tension. I love my mom to death. She loved me to death. She's my best cheerleader in the world until Pat came along. She believed in me, believed I could do whatever. It was an incredible mom. But there came this, this time when, you know, dad still had me psyched out, but not so much mom. I could manipulate mom a little bit. This is a natural thing, and you're going to grow up, and you're going to be on your own, and you don't want to be helpless. You don't want to be on a can college campus somewhere sucking your thumb, got your binky up here, you know. You, 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 you want to be, but, but don't let that natural growing and that natural independence that's coming cause you to be rebellious and disrespectful to your mom and your dad. Don't ever let that happen. Honor your father and your mother. There's a promise if we honor our parents. Now, I'm not for going back to the Old Testament, strict laws of the Old Testament for a whole lot of reasons. One of them is which, if you were disrespectful to your parents, they took you outside the city and stoned you to death. That uh, gives me the willies to think about. <laughs> but your parents are always going to be your parents. So as you grow and as you become more independent, 
things change. And when you marry, if you do marry, there'll be a new family structure and a new family order. But it's never right to rebel against your parents. Mary remembered all of this, and the Bible says stored it in her heart. She treasured it in her heart. And the last verse in this passage points out Jesus' continued growth into manhood. He continued to grow physically, just like we grew physically. He continued to grow in wisdom much better than I was able to grow in wisdom. He continued to grow in favor with God and man. Now, before we leave this verse, though, there's one word here that the meaning has been lost. The word for increase, when he increased in stature and knowledge and wisdom and, and favor with God, the word increased means to progress, to advance today. It's lost its original sense, which means to make one's way forward by chopping away obstacles. Remember, uh, what's his name uh, in the jungle? What's the guy's? Tarzan. Tarzan. He'd go through these vines and overgrowth and wild jungles, and he'd had a machete, and he'd chop his way. You've seen uh, adventurers go through that, and, and, and Indiana Jones, uh, they whack away and, and get the debris out, get the things out of the way that are hindering them, that are, uh, that are slowing down their progress, and that's what this means here. He, he hacked away, uh, chopped away the obstacles, and may God help us to chop away the obstacles that stand between us and full surrender to Almighty God. What are they? What are those things? Little hooks Satan puts out there? Yeah. I don't, I'm not a fisherman. I don't like to fish. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't like to fish. I get on the ocean half the time I get sick. When I'm not sick, I'm thinking I might get sick. When I am sick, I think I hope I'll die. I mean, it's just... <laughs> But I, I've seen people put, put like, I don't know, like eight or ten hooks on a line somehow or another. and throw out. That's the way Satan does. Oh, you don't like this one? Here, wait a minute. How about this one? Oh, you don't like this one? How about this one? See, your besetting sin is not the same as mine. My besetting sin is not the same as yours. Yours might be, I don't know what, alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever. Mine's none of your business. But he knows, he knows. The devil knows. He's been around doing this stuff for 6,000 years. You're not going to outsmart him. So we need to chop away those obstacles. We need to, get, we need to give them up. They're not worth it. I'm reading a book right now. What is that book that you bought? It's Lennon. Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. A preacher's wife. Oh, we got it out of the library up here. Somebody put it up here. Okay, so you didn't go buy it. Okay, all right. So John Lennon, Bob Dylan, Alice Cooper, I owned one of his cars, and Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm about 50 pages into it right now, but it's, it's incredible the quest some of these people went on and what they were looking for and finding out nothing, nothing, and no one could fill it besides Jesus Christ. No one, nothing. The 27 Club, all the famous musicians that died at 27 years of age because they had their fill of the money, everything the money could buy, and they had their fill of the drugs and, the, and drugs, alcohol, whatever took them finally? What is it you think you really want in life? I will promise you it doesn't even touch the hem of the garment of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Chop the things away that are binding you and holding you back. Repent of those things. Confess those things to God. Totally surrender. Totally surrender. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. 
Paul said to Timothy, shun profane and vain babblings, for they increase unto more ungodliness. The intended picture here is one of perfect development of the Son of Almighty God in stature, in wisdom, in favor with God and man. In every way, he blossomed and grew and became what his heavenly Father wanted him to be by chopping away the stuff that doesn't go there. Bill Gothard used to have an illustration. We'd have diamonds are not found. Beautiful diamonds you pick up and they're shiny and reflect all the light. And that's not the way they're found. They're found with debris all over them. And they're found in odd shapes that are not pretty. And they're certainly not conducive to putting on a ring, mounting on a necklace or something. But the expert who knows how to do it will take that and begin chipping away at the things that don't belong on that diamond, the things that hinder it from looking beautiful, the things that, that don't reflect the light the right way, at the right angle. And so God is working on you, chipping things away, and it's painful, isn't it? It's not fun sometimes not pleasant sometimes. He uses people to chip away. He uses physical health issues to chip away. He uses jobs that we don't like to chip away. He uses neighbors who are difficult. He, he uses all kinds of things. Did I hit a nerve on that one? <laughs> I'm glad I don't live next door to you, I tell you right now. That's nothing. You're glad I don't live next door to you, so... Jesus grew in every way the way he wants us to grow. You might be, Chuck, how old are you, buddy? 86 years old. You're my hero. I want to be like you when I grow up. And I'll tell you something. You're still growing in the Lord. Because here's a good philosophy for you. Don't die till you're dead. Too many people die before they're dead. And that's why they come to a point where, what's my purpose? I don't know why I'm here. Why did God leave me? Well, figure it out. Don't be griping and complaining and whining. Figure it out. Live for something greater than yourself. And as that master jeweler is chipping away the stuff that doesn't belong, his his end game is that we refract the light of God and we become a beautiful jewel in the crown of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head with me, please? What is it that needs to be chipped away? What is it that needs to be chipped away Chopped out of your life for good. You need to give it up. What is it? And why do we resist? Don't we know that God's will is the best for us? Don't we know what he wants for us is much greater and more wonderful than ever what we could want for ourselves? Is God dealing with your heart right now? Is there something, are there some things that need to go so that you can grow? If not physically, in wisdom at least, and in favor with God and man. Father, work in every heart here. God, may your Holy Spirit bring conviction to us. Lord, may we see how worthless really our own goals are so much of the time when they don't align with your purposes for our lives. God, help us to lay things down that need to be laid down and not pick them up again. God, help us to pick up things that we've not picked up for a long time. But Lord, if there's someone are several someones here who need Christ as their Savior. 
May they be willing to swallow their pride and come forward and say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. I want to be born again. If you're calling someone to full-time service, may they understand that it's the greatest joy next to personal salvation in our lives is to serve you and to love you and to know that you have a reason for us being here. So God, give us each purpose, every one of us purpose today. Help us be willing to do what you want us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Whatever it is you need to do, I'm here. Pat's here, ladies. Rachel's in the back over here. Where is um, there's John's? John's right over here. John. Whatever it is we can do. As the praise team sings, this is an opportunity for you to come and chop away something that needs to go right now as we sing. God's leading you. Come in. There's that pull in your heart. Listen to it. what God's invitation is never order over so if you can if you want to make that commitment to the Lord if you want to make that decision for him even though the invitation is officially over you can do that and I invite you to do so let's be dismissed in a word of prayer this morning thank you so much for being in God's house today our father in heaven we're so grateful and thankful for every person here we're so thankful Lord and grateful for your blessings in our life we pray that you would continue to work, that we would chop away the things that don't belong there, that we'd be willing, God, to, to be the person you've called us to be, you've formed us to be, you've saved us to be. Go with us today and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house today. Ladies, retreat. Ladies, meet by the sound booth. <laughs>